The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited do not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man, a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are invited, but few are chosen. You may be seated. A woman and a, her young daughter were attending a wedding service. And this was the first time the little girl had ever seen a wedding ceremony. She was in awe of the splendor and the beauty of everything that was around. The music, the um, formal atmosphere, the decorations, the bride and the groom and the attendants and all these fine gowns and suits that they were wearing. She was just impressed. And during the ceremony, the little girl leaned over to her mother and whispered, Mommy, Mommy. What? Why is the bride dressed in white? Huh. The mother, she, now she thought about this for a moment, and she struggled to come up with an answer or a simple explanation so her daughter could understand. So finally she just smiled and she said, the bride wears white because white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. Pretty good, right? The little girl thought for a moment, and then she said, so why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> Al, you're wearing black. <laughs> uh, I want you to uh, stay with me for a few moments here, because I want you to consider how many technological, uh, technological advances that have taken place in the last few years. And most of you have those advances right there in the palm of your hands, right? We cannot keep track of these electronic marvels that have been invented and improved on, right? Cell phones, they have become a part of our society, of life itself, right? Are you lost without the cell phone? Be honest. In one generation, think about this, we have moved from homes with landline phones to homes where each family member has a cell phone. Wow, isn't that amazing? Cell phones that are filled with all kinds of options. It's literally a, a handheld computer. We all agree on this. The cell phone owner has the option of receiving all types of notifications, right? We hear the pings and the dings and all these things. And on a snap judgment, they can make a decision whether to respond to the notification or totally remove themselves from future notifications, correct? Absolutely. Many of you may have done that this morning. At times, realize this. This happens with the call or the notification from our Lord and Savior. On a whim, he could be rejected. Not now, Jesus. 
no time, or maybe later. You know, many people can reject God's call and invitation, and many people can hear his call, see his notification, and still place him on hold. Amen? It's done often. But what's so great about our loving God? Our Heavenly Father never gives up, does he? He never gives up. Amid minus rejection after minus rejection, the Lord continues sending out invitations. Why? He loves us. The Lord has a purpose for all mankind. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that great? Now, I think we should want to remember the Lord's will for all mankind, Lord's will for your life, for my life, as we continue to examine man's self-will in the scripture text that we're in this morning. And you'll see that. <clears throat> Verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. I want you to understand that. That is the punchline to Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 22. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And by the end of this message, I pray that you have the meaning of verse 14. This teaching, this notification, this invitation comes a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. It's that close to his death on the cross when he shares his parable. As with many of Jesus' parables, I want you to understand something. There's more to the story that meets the eye. This passage sheds light, it sheds truth for anyone who is still trying to figure out what I do with Jesus Christ in my life. This parable is divided in three acts. Each act is about an invitation. So let's look at the first act. The first act, the invitation is offered, verses 1 through 4. Understand this when it comes to weddings in that day. And ancient wedding customs were much different than our modern version that we have in the 21st century. But both, even then, 21st century as well, they both have one thing in common. A wedding is a big festive event. Amen? Absolutely it is. So I think it's significant that Jesus often uh, compared his kingdom to a feast or a banquet. Being part of God's kingdom is like going to a party. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of joy. It's a time of fellowship. It's time of excitement. Are you excited this morning? Are you excited this morning? <laughs> Here's the point. Take the happiest most joyful experience on earth that you can think of. Imagine the best party or banquet that you have ever attended or the finest food that you've ever tasted. Have you got it? Do you vision it? God has something even better 
plan than what you're imagining. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who what? Love him. Love him. And clearly, those who picture the kingdom of heaven as a dull and boring place, they don't have a clue. God's planning a celebration. He's planning a gathering, and you're invited. All mankind is invited. Do you understand that? Please understand that. You're invited. God has, and this is what's so great. God has been inviting you your entire life. He began the first time your grandfather and grandmother told you a Bible story or your parents took you to church. Even if that never happened in your life, the invitation was extended when friends and relatives invited you to Sunday school or a neighbor asked you to a special church event or even the Gideons. We know who the Gideons are, right? If the Gideons gave you a Bible or left you one in a hotel room, You've been invited. God is extending an invitation every time you hear a Christian song in the, on the radio. <clears throat> or a preacher on television. Or serving in the mission field, as many will be doing in the Dominican Republic here in the next couple of weeks in the summer. God has been knocking on the door and tugging at your heart your entire life. Are we listening? Every time your conscience heats up and you feel an inner yearning for something more than life and God continues to call you to the best time of your life. He has spread everything he has on the table. Everything. He has short nothing. And you've been invited. Even if you didn't know it before, you do now. You know what now? Act two. The invitation is offered, but what happens? It's rejected. Verses five through ten. <clears throat> In the time of Jesus, there, were, there was a two-stage process of being invited to a wedding. The invitation was sent out well in advance, and everyone sent back what? An RSVP. But then here's something additional to what they did back then. Then those who responded yes received a courtesy reminder the day of the banquet itself. But here's where the story turns ugly. Some of the keen subjects just ignore the message. They go about their business as usual. They consider business more important than the king's feast, the king's banquet, the son's wedding. And we see in scriptures where others, they, were, they, they had anger, violence. And I'm sure the Jews that were listening to Jesus on that day would have thought to themselves, now wait a minute, who would do such a thing? Refused to go to a king's banquet. I mean, that very idea would be absurd. It was going through their mind. 
The potential guests rejected more than the invitation to the feast. They rejected the king himself. Do you see where Jesus is going with this story, this picture? This is the way God deals with us. Both the transformed life that Christ creates and the heaven that follows are by invitation only. By invitation only. But no one is forced. No one is forced to come to the banquet. You can, though it makes no sense to me, decline the Lord's offer. That's your choice. You don't have to go. You don't have to attend. You can ignore the Lord's offer, or you can become carefree, hostile. Either way, the results are going to be the same on your decision. Two things will happen. Two things. First, judgment day is coming. It may not be tomorrow. It may not happen for years. But it will occur. And on that day, those who rejected the invitation of the Lord will regret their choice. But understand this. It was their choice. It was their choice. Second, the celebration, the feast, goes on whether you choose to attend or not. Doesn't matter. It's still going to happen. The Lord wants every one of us in heaven. Amen? But he will not force anyone. And he will not cancel the wedding feast. He will not cancel the banquet just because you don't show up. No one is too poor. No one's too bad. Too messed up. Or too old for the king's wedding feast. Do you know that? You know it, right? Do you understand that many people don't understand that? The king in this parable is obviously who? God. And the invited guest are his chosen people first. Who were they? The Jews. Who had already been called by him. The servants were God's prophets. And actually, even Jesus himself, because he's telling the story. Again and again, the chosen people rejected the invitation. And when the chosen people, the Jewish people, rejected the kingdom, the invitation was then extended to everyone, Gentiles. Extended to everyone who wanted to attend. All mankind. Now, I want you to notice at this point, there is no one who is not invited. Are you with me? There is no one who's not invited to the son's wedding feast. All are invited. God's desire is to do what? He wants to fill that banquet hall. So it's easy to understand the parable to this point. But then there's an incident. And before we get to that incident, let me just kind of put us in the picture here. It's fascinating to me how only a few years of marriage, a couple can often communicate with a very small amount or number of words, and sometimes just a look. 
So husbands, if you will imagine with me this scene, okay? You've been invited to a party. And after spending all day working out in the yard, you come into the house in a hurry and get dressed up. Fair enough? We've done that, right? We've done that, right? Let me know you're with me. Especially husbands. You go, into, you go to your closet, but you suddenly realize that you're not quite sure what to wear for this function. And of course, men's not going to ask their wife. So you're not sure if it's completely casual or if you need to wear slacks and a sports coat. You find clothing that you think will be appropriate and work, and you put it on, you comb your hair, you get the car keys, you go out into the living room where your wife is waiting. Oh, wait a minute. I, the story doesn't go that way, does it? That doesn't happen office where, where they're waiting on us. They're, they're not waiting, are they? That's maybe never, but it, it is in this story. She looks at you and she smiles, but it's not the sort of smile that says, darling, I really love you. It's not one of those. It's more of sort of a polite smile. She looks at you and says five words. Just five. Is that what you're wearing? And how do we respond? You go back to the bedroom and you change your clothes. Amen? It's amazing. Act number three, guys. Imitation is neglected. Verse 11 through 14. Verse 11 through 14. Understand this. Jesus could have stopped the story at verse 10. You with me? And it would have ended well. The king offers an invitation. When his potential guests refuse, he extends the invitation to others. Everyone lives happily ever after. That would make nice, generous ending to this very ugly story. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He never does. Guests fills the banquet hall, the poor, those on the street corners, the good, the bad, the Jews, the Gentiles, all gather for this royal feast, this banquet, and then the king shows up, God himself. All is well until the king notices one man not properly dressed. There's a true story at the end of World War II. The Russian head of state gave an elaborate banquet to honor British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. The Russians arrived in their finest, best formal wear, military dress uniforms, okay? But their honored guest didn't. Churchill arrived wearing his famous zipper overalls that he had worn during the German uh, bomb attack in London. He thought it would provide a nostalgic touch to the Russians, it was something that the Russians would appreciate. They didn't. They were humiliated. They were insulted that their prominent guest had not considered their banquet worthy of his best attire. I want you to understand, wearing the right clothing to formal banquet honors the host and the occasion. 
and neglecting to wear the best is an insult. Now let me get back to the parable. At first glance, the king, wouldn't you think the king seems so unfair? At first glance, with you not knowing. Why is he treating this one man like that? Why is he pointing him out? How could he expect someone off the streets to have wedding attire ready to wear? Fair enough, question, right? But not then. Not in the first century. You want to know why? Because kings supplied the guest with the wedding garments or robes to wear. They provide the wear for you. All they had to do was put it on. So the man had no excuse because it was a gift to him. It's important for us to remember accepting an invitation means accepting the terms of the invitation. If you go to a restaurant which has a sign out front that says, Coat and tie required. In the South, we'll see things like no shoes, no shirt, no service. Don't go wearing your jeans and your T-shirt and expect to get a good reception at the door. I mean, it seems like a small thing, doesn't it? It really does, but it's not. Hear me on this. It's not a simple thing. The guest wrongly assumed he could come to this banquet on his own terms. Don't let me lose you. I don't know, maybe he was stubborn. Maybe he had the attitude or thought in his mind, nobody's going to tell me what to do or how to dress. A lot of us here have that attitude. Perhaps his actions reflected pride or arrogance in his life. I'm good enough the way I am. If the king doesn't like the way I dress, then he knows what he can do with his party. I guess the guy showed the king who was boss, right? Hmm. And so often, isn't that the case with people when it comes to the kingdom of God, Christianity? Think about that for a moment. Many want to be a part of the feast, Many people want to be a part of this joy and this fellowship, but they don't want to submit themselves to God's terms. To God's terms. So Jesus, in this text, he fires a shot across the bow of anyone who dares to take God's grace for granted. The heavenly Feast is by invitation only. And we already made it clear that the invitation is to everyone, right? By invitation only. It's yours. Here it is. The invitation is requiring an RSVP. And we all know what that means. The invitation cannot be bought, it cannot be bartered for, neither can it be taken for granted. And I'm reminding you, Jesus could have stopped in verse 10. 
It would have been a wonderful story before he is crucified. But he's giving them divine kingdom truth. You cannot crash the party. You, you dare not ignore the terms of the invitation. It's his kingdom. It's his feast. It's his banquet. God the king has asked that you acknowledge Jesus, repent of sin, confess him in baptism, take his teachings seriously, and serve him with love and commitment. Do you realize that's the requirements to the invitation? It's his kingdom. It's his feast. He asks, let me repeat this, he asks you to acknowledge his son, Jesus, repent of sin, confess him in baptism, take his teaching seriously, and serve him with love and commitment. Now, at this point in the parable, Jesus is giving a warning to his listeners. Never make the mistake of thinking that because you are saved by grace, don't let me lose you. Never make the mistake of thinking because you are saved by grace that you can approach Christian faith casually. with an anything-goes attitude. You can't do that because it could be fatal. It's a dangerous thing to make light of God's invitation. And Jesus is making that very clear. And understand, I am going to repeat, it's true that the door of salvation is open to all mankind. But when we come through that open door that he's given us, we must put off the old man and put on the new man. Grace, understand this about grace. Grace is not just a gift. Grace is a responsibility. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Listen to the words of Paul. What shall we say? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning, living the life that you want to live so that grace may increase? By no means. By no means, no. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it, sin? How can we live in sin any longer? Paul said in these verses, in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, what Jesus has just demonstrated in a story. The more I study this parable, this teaching, the more I realize that this story reveals the difference between, and hear me, this story reveals the difference between believing in Jesus and truly following Jesus. And I sense this is somehow about the difference between accepting Jesus as Savior and serving Jesus as Lord. 
It's all one and the same. You can't separate them. Yes, he's your savior, but understand this, he's your Lord and your master as well. That's the part we like to leave off. In a sense, this is somehow about the differences between accepting Jesus as a Savior, serving Jesus as the Lord, and the difference between joining the church, and watch this, being the church. There's a big difference in having your name on a membership roll than actually you being the church yourself. You know, people haven't changed since God's creation. We haven't. That which was recorded in history as having been done by man centuries ago might be written again. And here's what it would say. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Who said that? Solomon? The same class of people is still found today as those who existed long ago. There are still many today who have the same outlook as those in Jesus' day in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Guys, if you can pull it up, please do. Because verse 5 says this. They made light of it. Made light of what? This invitation. And went their ways. One to his field. One to his merchandise. One to his business. Isn't that happening today? Absolutely it is. We're making light of this invitation. People are still making light of this glorious thing that we call the gospel message. To make light of it literally means that they pay no attention to it. If they do, it's, uh, it's, treat with, it's treated with contempt. No consequences to my life. They pay no attention to it. And so do far too many today. There are people today who believe they look enough like a Christian to be saved. Does that make sense? They wear the garment of being nice. going through the motion of things, knowing the right Christian lingo. They know God hates sin, and they believe they're not nearly as sinful as the person they may be sitting next to or someone they may know. They don't think of themselves as being bad people. Why did you get salvation in the first place? Because you're a bad person. And if they've done, you know, if, and Lord, if I've done anything bad, they believe that their good works, their self-Christian clothing, outweigh any bad that they've ever done. Most people think of themselves as nice, decent individuals that God wouldn't even consider rejecting them at heaven's gate. Do you believe that? 
I mean, after all, they believe their garments resemble what they think God would accept. My point is this. You and I will never qualify for heaven by what church we belong to. Never. Or by the good deeds that we've done. Never. Those aren't the garments God will accept at his banquet, at his feast. Steve, your good works does not count. What church you belong to doesn't count in my eyes. Yes, we should belong to a strong Bible-believing church. And yes, we should be doing good deeds. But if that's the clothing that you are relying on to make you acceptable to God, you miss the point of faith, of salvation, of the cross. That would essentially be the same, stay with me, that would essentially be the same as walking into the banquet in your own clothing as did the man in verse 11 of Matthew 22. And what happened to him? The only wedding garment that will make any difference is that which God supplies. Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with who? With who? Christ. Christ. What garment will God accept? Only the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus. Only his righteousness can clothe us over our sinful past. That's it. Then we come to verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. That's another way of saying everybody is invited, but few wind up at the table. Why? Certainly isn't God's fault. Anyone who misses heaven the kingdom of God, his great feast, only have themselves to blame. That's it. Only a few will accept the invitation to enter God's kingdom under his requirements and are serious enough to clothe themselves in God's righteousness, Jesus Christ. Anybody here need to be forgiven? My hand goes up. Anybody here need to RSVP, answer the invitation? Absolutely. There are people probably viewing that need to answer the invitation. Where are you in your life today? Are you hurting? Are you lonely? Are you confused? Are you angry, bitter, frustrated? Are you restless? Are you empty? No hope? Do you have addictions in your life? 
then please know this. God wants to give you more. In fact, he's already set his table with you in mind. Whatever you want to bring to the table, he has an answer for. You're invited. God wants you to respond to the invitation. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. There is not one that is true. Not one, except Christ himself. So it doesn't matter how good or bad you think you are. You need to come and eat at God's table of grace. And no matter who you are, what you've done, how many times you've failed, God wants you to come, just as you are. Because he already knows. That's the king's invitation. Have you responded? Truly responded? I mean, do you know that most people turn his invitation down? They refuse it. And here's something I want you to think of. I go to this scripture often because Jesus himself, not only has he told us in this parable, but in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, write them down. I want to summarize it for you. You can read them on your own at home. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. And in that context, Jesus tells everyone, he is the narrow way, he is the gate. But watch what he says at the very end in verse 14. He says, but few will enter. He is already telling the world that less than half of the world's population will walk through his righteousness and grace. Do you want to hear why most people refuse God's invitation to feast on his grace? It's because they're indifferent, uninterested to God and everything related to him. You're not going to mess with my life. They're too busy to think about uh, the things of God. Too caught up in this world that we live in, concerning themselves with what's going on around them. Too devoted to what's temporary to make time for what's eternal. Oh, please hear that. We're so devoted to what the things that are so temporary for us. And we leave little time for what's eternal. Now that we're all getting older, and we are, 70, 80, 90 years isn't long, is it, compared to eternity? Not even close. It's not even a blimp in the screen. Do you have time for God in your life? Or are you too busy for him? And, and I already see or... Uh, it, or envision what people are thinking in their minds right now. I know, I know tomorrow, I know what you're going to do. I'll respond to God tomorrow. There's a Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll respond next year when things settle down. I'll accept the invitation when the time is right and everything is in place. No, you won't. No, you won't. 
If you won't say yes to God today, what makes you think you'll say yes later? God's invitation is for today. Why? Because there may be no tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised tomorrow. God's invitation is for today. What in this world could be more important? Please tell me, because I'd like to hear it. What in this world could be more important than life eternal with God? I read a story recently about a family that was working through some problems. The dad was this classic example of a 21st century workaholic American entrepreneur. We've all seen or been a part of it or know people like this. And because of this, the family had, uh, because of his job, they had done quite well financially. But he worked long hours and sometimes, you know, seven days a week. He invested most of himself in climbing that corporate ladder and making money. I can relate to this. He'd done all that. He was now one of the top executives in the organization, but his marriage had been in trouble for, for years now. His wife had to put up with a lot, tried to hold the family together. She had done a pretty good job of it so far. And their two children were turning out, you know, fairly well, considering. But there had been some acting out and some incidents with their son at school. And so mom, she started going to a family therapist to help herself deal with some of the pain in her own life and to help her children deal with some of the issues she sensed that they were uh, dealing with in their life as, and through their growing process. But repeatedly, the conversation seemed to come back, come back around to dad in all their conversations. So after weeks of asking and pleading, the father finally showed up for one of these sessions. It was during the third session with the entire family that the daughter, who was now in college, decided to confront her dad about some things which had uh, caused her grief and pain in her life as she was growing up. She'd been trying to get her courage up for weeks, and finally the, the time came in this third session with the father. She turned to her father. Let me just give you the words that she said. Couldn't you have come to or at least one of my softball games when I was in uh, uh, school? And when I was in, uh, excuse me, in elementary school? And when I was in middle school and got a part in the school play, did you know how much I wanted you to come and see the performance? Even though you told me you couldn't, that you had to work, I still kept looking for you that night. I still hope you might be there. And then when you weren't there to see me on senior prom night, I guess that was it. I guess that's when I stopped counting on you to be there. When she was saying these words, the father listened and looked as if he was getting angrier and angrier at these charges that were just being thrown at him and leveled at him. And finally he said, okay, I messed up. All right, I understand. You say I hurt you. I believe you and I'm so sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry I hurt you, okay? 
Forgive me. I apologize. And the daughter said, let me get back to her words. I have already forgiven you, Daddy. I had to do that to get on with my life. And I've learned to deal with pain and disappointment. But she said, that's not the worst part. The worst part is what happened to you. You missed out on getting to know me. And you missed out on enjoying me. The saddest part is you missed out on me. And in reading that story, I couldn't help but feel that, that God is speaking to us all this morning. He's saying the same thing. The biggest regret, the biggest regret is that you have missed out on the opportunity to be with him. To be with him and to get to know him. The bad news is, those years will never be recovered. They're gone. I hope we understand that. The good news is, the great news is, God's invitation still stands. Amen? Amen? It still stands. God has prepared a spiritual feast for anybody who wants to join him, who wants to be a part of that joy. But no one will enjoy the feast of the kingdom who refuses to take God's kingdom seriously. Whether or not you come to the feast depends on you and only you. If you take the kingdom of God lightly, you will never enter. There will always be some excuse that you can come up with. Always. Always. But if you give the king's invitation the priority it deserves, willing to believe and obey it, then you will enjoy the blessings of that kingdom throughout eternity. Amen? Amen. This time I'm going to have the praise team come for a song of invitation, a time to respond, a time to answer the RSVP to the great invitation that God has given us all. In doing so, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, this is a great, glorious day. Actually, as we gather in this building, it's a feast in itself, a fellowship with other believers to honor and glorify you, to rejoice with you because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his righteousness, his work on the cross. We thank you for the invitation. And I pray our hearts are rejoicing and saying yes, yes to Jesus, yes to his invitation, and Lord, cover me with his righteousness. And may I understand that my works, my deeds, do not even come into consideration because they will not be worthy. I call upon Jesus, his gift of grace, his blood of righteousness to cover me. I pray that's in your heart, and if you have not responded, come to it today. We pray together. We'll rejoice together, and we'll give thanks to God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please stand as we rejoice and respond.